Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in Sultry, Savannah, Georgia, this is Obscure, Season 3, Wuthering Heights. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief and Georgianologist, Michael Ian Black, Southern Gentleman, Esquire. Some uh, some big doings here in in uh, the haunted mansion. The other night, I was laying on the couch, and it looked like there were lightning flashes outside, but there was no accompanying thunder sound. And I thought, well, let me just wait several seconds and see if the thunder comes rumbling in as the speed of sound and the speed of light. Hold on, <laughs> differ so greatly that obviously one sees the lightning before one hears the thunder. That being said, no no thunder roll uh, rumbles forthcoming. So I thought, well, I don't know what that is. And then Martha comes in and she says, did you see the paparazzi? And there was paparazzi outside our house. And I was like, why? What, what, why, why? Why is there paparazzi outside our house? Well, turns out they were not there for me in any way, shape, or manner, but we have a renter in our hovel downstairs who is, um, I guess, a famous actor. Now, I, I met the fella, seemed like a nice guy. I knew he was an actor. I knew he was in town shooting something or another, but I'd never heard of him. Certainly didn't seem to recognize me, but we got along fine. And uh, But it turns out he's a bigger deal than I would have thought. So part of me was like, oh man, like there's paparazzi outside my house and they don't give a shit about me. And then part of me was like, that's fucking great. I mean, why have a podcast called Obscure if you're going to be the target of some paparazzo down here in Savannah, Georgia? That's not, that's, that's not the spirit of Obscure. It's, it, in fact, it's the downright opposite. So anyway, that fella... And his husband there with us for 
gee, I don't know, quite a while. In fact, we will leave for Italy and they will still be here. Italy is quickly approaching. Um, plane tickets are purchased. Lodging for the first portion of our stay has been secured. The second portion of our stay also secured, I believe. And uh, we still don't have visas. But we'll just head out on tourist visas if we have to. You think we're going to let the man stand in our way of making a ruinous financial decision? Absolutely not. Nobody's going to tell us how to ruin our lives. But I mean, I got to get through Wuthering Heights before we finish. I mean, before we leave. I don't know. Man, I don't know if that's going to happen. Oh, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be, uh, I don't know. It's going to be close. I mean, we're, we're getting down to it. I mean, it's, I've just got, I've just got a, uh, just a pinch of book left. I know that because I just pinched my fingers. You can hear that probably on the amount of book I have left. And it's just not that much. So we better get to it. Mrs. Dean kidnapped, thrown into a, a dungeon over there at Wuthering Heights. Although I think it's a third floor dungeon. I think it's the garret and Hareton is her jailer. And Kathy Jr.'s off getting married for some inexplicable reason to Linton. And it is really inexplicable. There's no reason she should want to marry him. He behaves abominably. He is weak of constitution and is likely not to live very long. And it puts her in the clutches of his father, Heathcliff. It just doesn't seem like a, like a good marriage. But we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. Last time we concluded with chapter 27, which means we get to start a whole new chapter today, and that's always exciting as we pick it up with chapter 28 of Wuthering Heights. On the fifth morning, or rather afternoon, a different step approached, lighter and shorter, and this time the person entered the room. It was Zilla, donned in her scarlet shawl, with a black silk bonnet on her head, and a willow basket swung to her arm. Ah, dear Mrs. Dean, she exclaimed, well, there is a talk about you at Gimmerton. I never thought, but you were sunk in the black horse marsh and missy with you till master told me you'd been found and he'd lodged you here what and you must have got on an island sure and how long were ye in the hole did master save you mrs dean but you're not so thin you've not been so poorly have you your master is a true scoundrel i replied but he shall answer for it he needn't have raised that tale it shall all be laid bare what do you mean asked Zilla. It's not his tale. They tell that in the village, about your being lost in the marsh, and I calls to Earnshaw when I come in. Eh, these queer things, Mr. Hareton, happened since I went away. Oh, hold on. Uh, no, it, 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 hold on now. Zilla, who, as you'll know, is the, the serving wench there at Wuthering Heights. We haven't really heard much from Zilla before, so uh, I don't really have a proper Zilla voice worked out, but I'm, you know, I'm improvising as we do. Apparently, there's been a there's been a tale. Neither Kathy Jr. nor Mrs. Dean have been heard from in five days. A tale going around the village that they sunk in the marsh there, and uh, man, that if that doesn't kill her father, what will? 
If that doesn't kill Edgar Linton, who's, you know, balanced between life and death as we speak, what will? So what do you mean? It's not his tale they tell in the village, right? About your being lost in the marsh, and I calls to Earnshaw when I come in. So I'm not sure who's speaking here when he says, Eh, these queer things, Mr. Hareton. Since I went off, it's a sad pity of that likely young lass and can't Nellie Dean. Is can't? What does that mean? It's a sad pity of that likely young lass and can't Nellie Dean. Hmm. Anyway, he stared. I thought he had not heard aught, so I told him the rumor. Oh, I see. 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 So Heathcliff is saying that? It's a sad pity of that likely young lass. And can't Nellie Dean? No, no. The master listened, and he just smiled to himself and said, If they have been in the marsh, they are out now, Zilla. Nellie Dean is lodged at this minute in your room. You can tell her to flit when you go up. Here is the key. The bog water got into her head, and she would have run home. Oh, now I've got sirens. I I can't be doing a podcast with sirens going off. Yeah, yes, you'll go along with you, with your parallax phenomena. Is that what that's called? Oh, that's the Doppler effect. What's parallax? Oh, let me crank up the old research machine. I was thinking of Doppler effect, but no. Parallax. The effect whereby the position or direction of an object appears to differ when viewed from different positions. So it's sort of the visual equivalent of the Doppler effect. Fine. That was a tangent that we need not have taken. Uh, They're out now. Nellie Dean is lodged. You can tell her to flit. The bog water got into her head, and she would have run home quite flighty. But I fixed her till she came round to her senses. You can bid her go to the Grange at once, if she be able, and carry a message from me that her young lady will follow in time to attend the squire's funeral. Mr. Edgar's not dead, I gasped. Oh, Zilla! Zilla! No, no, sit you down, my good mistress, she replied. You're right sickly yet. He's not dead. Oh, come on! What emergency can be so great that you dare to interrupt my reading of this fabulous American novel. How dare you? And it just abruptly went off. You heard the Doppler thing, but what you probably didn't hear is I said, how dare you? And then it immediately went off just like that. Fine, I have more power than I thought. Uh, So he's not, so I guess uh, he's not dead. Dr. Kenneth thinks he may last another day. I met him on the road and asked. Instead of sitting down, I snatched my outdoor things and hastened below, for the way was free. On entering the house, I looked about for someone to give information of Catherine. The place was filled with sunshine, and the door stood wide open, but nobody seemed at hand. As I hesitated whether to go off at once or return and seek my mistress, a slight cough drew my attention to the hearth. Linton lay on the settle, sole tenant, sucking a stick of sugar candy and pursuing my movements with apathetic eyes. Where is Miss Catherine? I demanded sternly, supposing I could frighten him into giving intelligence by catching him thus alone. He sucked on like an innocent. Is she gone? 
I replied. No, he replied. She's upstairs. She's not to go. We won't let her. You won't let her, little idiot, I exclaimed. Direct me to her room immediately or I'll make you sing out sharply. Papa would make you sing out if you attempted to get there, he answered. He says I'm not to be soft with Catherine. She's my wife, and it's shameful that she should wish to leave me. He says she hates me and wants me to die, <laughs> that she may have my money, but she shan't have it, and she shan't go home. She never shall. She may cry and be as sick as much as she pleases. <laughs> I mean, what the hell? I mean, if you thought Lynn was a little shitbird before, I guess he's proven it here uh, conclusively. She's my wife. She's not going anywhere. <laughs> I've got her locked in the room, and she can act sick if she wants. Well, I mean, this is just a replay, is it not, of the relationship between Kathy Sr., and Edgar Linton. Now, Edgar Linton, of course, wasn't cruel like young Linton Heathcliff. However, um, the illness is, you know, the the that Kathy Sr., you know, threw herself into catat a catatonic state. We don't know what, cat what the daughter is doing, but it sounds like it might be similar. And, uh, well, we have history repeating itself as we knew it would. So, Kathy Jr.'s now acting ill. Edgar Linton is on death's door. Mrs. Dean has been freed from prison. And Heathcliff, the devil at the center of it, is nowhere to be found. That being said, the Grammys were the other night, and I guess people were upset because some guy, Sam Smith, is that his name? Dressed up as the devil and did a dance and whatever, and people were apparently upset about this. Is anybody in this day and age still upset about devil imagery like literally like dressed in red with horns like th this upsets people i mean what what it, i mean it's the equivalent of you know drawing a cartoon of muhammad or something it's it's silliness and people take that shit very very seriously get your own house in order you know before you start worrying about a performance on the grammys figure out your own shit before you before you have problems with everybody else you know, there's that biblical saying that goes like this. Figure out your own shit. You know, they were smart, those Bible writers, smart folks. But uh, yeah. All right. Why don't we take a quick little break, gather our thoughts, uh, repent, and we will be back in a moment here on Obscure. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Back on Obscure, young Linton has become every bit the monster that his father has groomed him to be. You know, he's got kind of like a little Don Jr. thing going. 
you know, Don Jr., I think, was just a sensitive alcoholic when he was growing up and going to boarding school. And then, then, you know, he got more involved with his dad and his dad abused him and then he turned into his dad. I mean, that's just the way it works. Well, that's what's going on here, too. Linton, trying to gain his father's approval, has turned sour. I mean, he was never great, but he's a lot worse now. So, we're back. Linton has just said she's not going anywhere, meaning his wife. Uh, She's my prisoner. And Mrs. Dean says he resumed his former occupation, closing his lids as if he meant to drop asleep. Master Heathcliff, I resumed. Have you forgotten all Catherine's kindnesses to you last winter when you affirmed you loved her and when she brought you books and sung you songs and came many a time through wind and snow to see you? She wept to miss one evening because you would be disappointed and you felt then that she was a hundred times too good for to you and now you believe the lies your father tells though you know he detests you both, and you join him against her. That's fine gratitude, is it not? Well, you tell him, Mrs. Dean. Everything you've just said is entirely accurate. What will the boy's response be? The corner of Linton's mouth fell, and he took the sugar candy from his lips. Did she come to Wuthering Heights because she hated you? I continued. Think for yourself. As to your money, she does not even know that you will have any. And you say she's sick, and yet you leave her alone up there in a strange house. You, who have felt what it is to be so neglected. You could pity your own sufferings, and she pitied them too, but you won't pity hers. I shed tears, Master Heathcliff, you see. An elderly woman, and a servant merely, and you... After pretending such affection, and having reason to worship her, almost store up every tear you have for yourself and lie there quite at ease. Ah, you're a heartless, selfish boy. I can't stay with her. (laughs) He answered crossly. I'll not stay by myself. She cries, so I can't bear it, and she won't give over, though I say I'll call my father. I did call him once, and he threatened to strangle her if she was not quiet. But she began again the instant he left the room, moaning and grieving all night long, though I screamed for vexation that I couldn't sleep. So wait a second, I just want to go back here. She won't give over, though I say I'll call my father. Now what does that mean exactly? She won't give over, meaning stop crying? Or she won't consummate? little unclear there, and for everybody's sake, I hope she won't consummate, because that would be awful. Is Mr. Heathcliff out? I inquired, perceiving that the wretched creature had no power to sympathize with his cousin's mental tortures. He's in the court, he replied, talking to Dr. Kenneth, who says, uncle is dying truly at last, I'm glad, for I shall be master of the Grange after him, and Catherine always spoke of it as her house, 
It isn't hers. It's mine. Papa says everything she has is mine. All her nice books are mine. She offered to give me them, and her pretty birds, and her pony Minnie, if I would get the key out of our room and let her out. But I told her she had nothing to give. They were all, all mine. (laughs) I'm not a fan of this show. I've tried watching it, and it just has never done anything for me. But Family Guy, Linton is like Stewie, right? That's the, that's the little baby's name, Stewie. He's he's turned into Stewie. It's mine, all mine. And then she cried and took a little picture from her neck and said I should have that two pictures in a gold case, on one side her mother and on the other uncle, when they were very young. That was yesterday. I said they were mine too and tried to get them from her. <laughs> the spiteful thing wouldn't let me. Yeah, she's the spiteful one. <laughs> uh, you know what's nice about this? And it is nice. Like Emily Bronte, fine American writer that she is, just is going for it with Linton. Just making him into as detestable a shitbird as his father, like really irredeemable, and uh, and I appreciate it. I appreciate that she's just going for it. You know, Heathcliff is bad. His son is worse, or just as bad. Hard to say at this point if he's worse, but just as bad. This spiteful thing wouldn't let me. She pushed me off and hurt me. I shrieked out. That frightens her. She heard Papa coming, and she broke the hinges and divided the case and gave me her mother's portrait, the other she attempted to hide. But Papa asked what was the matter, and I explained it. He took the one. Well, that's a weird sound. I mean, a lot of weird sounds. It It sounded like a bunch of chestnuts just dropped onto the windowsill. And that's exactly the kind of thing that happens here in the South all the time. Chestnuts dropping on windowsills. That's just a common occurrence. I don't know if it's a common occurrence. I suspect it's not, but that's what it sounded like anyway. Chestnuts on windowsills. Hey, maybe I got an episode title right there. I'd be a fool if I didn't use it now. So he's talking to Dr. Kenneth. Uh, Finally, he came. He took the one I had away and ordered her to resign hers to me. She refused, and he... He struck her down and wrenched it off the chain and crushed it with his foot. And were you pleased to see her struck, I asked, having my designs in encouraging his talk. I winked, he answered. I wink to see my father strike a dog or a horse. He does it so hard. Yet I was glad at first. She deserved punishing for pushing me. But when Papa was gone, she made me come to the window and showed me her cheek cut on the inside against her teeth and her mouth filling with blood. And then she gathered up the bits of the picture and went and sat down with her face to the wall. And she has never spoken to me since. And I sometimes think she can't speak for pain. I don't like to think so. But she's a naughty thing for crying continually and she looks so pale and wild. I'm afraid of her. And you can get the key if you choose, I said. Yes, when I am upstairs, he answered. But I can't walk upstairs now. In what apartment is it? I asked. Oh, he cried, I shan't tell you where it is. It is our secret. Nobody, neither Hareton nor Zilla, are to know. There, 
You've tired me. Go away. Go away. <laughs> and he turned his face onto his arm and shut his eyes. Again. So, I mean, fair to say. For me, anyway. This is going places I didn't anticipate. Just because, as I said, I think, in the previous episode, Heathcliff has been so careful to walk up to the edge of the law, but not cross it. But here, you know, there's kidnapping, there's false tales of drownings in bogs, there's forced marriages, there's imprisonment, there's violence. I mean, it just seems like he's just, he's just, it's just gone over the edge here. Speaking of which, I saw the movie The Banshees of Isherin, 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 whatever it is, uh, the Martin McDonough movie based on the play of the same name, and uh, really enjoyed it. Very funny, dark, darkly funny, as they say, uh, and goes places you're not expecting it to go which I enjoy. I enjoy when that happens. Everything, everywhere, all at once, same deal. Just goes places you're not thinking it's going to go, you know? Stays a step ahead of you. What's not to like about that? Nothing. Nothing's not to like about that. All right, back to the book. You've tired me. Go away. I considered it best to depart without seeing Mr. Heathcliff and bring a rescue for my young lady from the Grange. On reaching it, the astonishment of my fellow servants to see me, and their joy also was intense, and when they heard that their little mistress was safe, two or three were about to hurry up and shout the news at Mr. Edgar's door, but I bespoke the announcement of it myself. How changed I found him even in those few days. Yeah, because he thinks his daughter's dead. He lay an image of sadness and resignation, waiting his death. Very young he looked, though his actual age was thirty-nine. One would have called him ten years younger at least. He thought of Catherine, for he murmured her name. I touched his hand and spoke. Catherine is coming, dear master, I whispered. She's alive and well, and will be here, I hope, tonight. I trembled at the first effects of this intelligence. He half rose up, looked eagerly round the apartment, and then sunk back in a swoon. Oh, there hasn't been nearly enough swooning here in Wuthering Heights. There's been plenty of more rambling, we know that, but not nearly enough swooning. When you hear a book title like Wuthering Heights, my god, don't you just hear the string section of an orchestra swell up, and with that swelling, aren't bosoms supposed to heave, and aren't uh, gals, and maybe young lads as well, supposed to swoon? I think this is what kept me from reading the book for so many years. The fact that I imagined it to be filled with nothing but swooning. And the rambling on the moors I knew about. But I thought, oh, there's just going to be too much swooning for me. And I frankly don't have the patience. And yet I feel like this is the first swooning in the entire book. And who's it being done? By a 39-year-old man instead of an adolescent lass. Of course, he's on death's door and not bound in a corset, but still. It just goes to show you, you think you know something about a book based on nothing, and it turns out you don't. Just goes to show you. As soon as he recovered from the swoon, I related our compulsory visit and detention at the Heights. They said Heathcliff forced me to go in, which was not quite true. 
I uttered as little as possible against Linton, nor did I describe all his father's brutal conduct, my intentions being to add no bitterness, if I could help it, to his already overflowing cup. He divined that one of his enemy's purposes was to secure the personal property as well as the estate to his son, or rather himself. Yet why did he not wait till his decease was a puzzle to my master, because ignorant how nearly he and his nephew would quit the world together? Why do you, why, because, dummy, he wants you to know that he owns all of it. Doesn't do him any good if you're dead before he can rub it in your face. That's all he's been ever after all this time. You took the love of his life and he wants to rub shit in your face. And so that's what he's doing. However, he felt that his will had better be altered. Instead of leaving Catherine's fortune at her own disposal, he determined to put it in the hands of trustees for her use during life and for her children if she had any after her. By that means, it could not fall to Mr. Heathcliff should Linton die. Ah, so uh, a little uh, uh, legal do-si-do to offset this cunning plan. And why did Heathcliff not think of this? Why did he not anticipate this maneuver? Maneuver. I don't know. Having received his orders, I dispatched a man to fetch the attorney and four more provided with serviceable weapons to demand my young lady of her jailer. Both parties were delayed very late. The single servant returned first. He said Mr. Green, the lawyer, was out when he arrived at his house, and he had to wait two hours for his re-entrance, and then Mr. Green told him he had a little business in the village that must be done, but he would be at Thrushcross Grange before morning. I remember how difficult it was to just say Thrushcross Grange when we first started. You know, being a being in a part of America I was unfamiliar with, I just, it's hard to wrap your, your mouth around those syllables altogether. Thrushcross Grange, and yet now... Easy peasy. The four men came back unaccompanied also. They brought word that Catherine was ill, too ill to quit her room, and Heathcliff would not suffer them to see her. I scolded the stupid fellows well for listening to that tale, which I would not carry to my master, resolving to take a whole bevy up to the heights at daylight and storm it, literally, unless the prisoner were quietly surrendered to us. Her father shall see her, I vowed, and vowed again, if that devil be killed on his own doorstones in trying to prevent it. Happily, I was spared the journey and the trouble. Well, I guess we'll leave it there. Big doings, you know. Very well-paced at this point. I had said, and I meant it had hit a patch of doldrums there for quite a little while. We were just kind of bumping along in a rather lugubrious manner. But now, now, the stones are are being kicked up by wagon wheels everywhere you you look. You could catch one in the eye if you're not careful. Not sure what I mean when I say the wagon wheels are kicking up stones. I think I just mean that things are apace. And I, for one, would like to express a little bit of gratitude towards that. All right, the rest of my day, what does that look like? I don't know. I mean, I guess just avoiding avoiding the paparazzi outside my house. 
It is nice to be reminded every now and again of why exactly I did entitle this very successful podcast, Obscure, and how uh, prescient that title turned out to be. Marvelous, just marvelous. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're, you know, we're coming to a conclusion here. It's a fine conclusion, no doubt. We've got armed men, we've got kidnappers, we've got a dungeon, we've got death, we've got pestilence, we've got everything. I don't know if there's any pestilence. Well, yeah, I guess we can say Edgar Linton is suffering from pestilence of some variety or another. 39 years old. I mean, he's lucky he made it that old. That's just, he's an old man. All right, going to leave it there. We will pick it up on another, uh, what are we going to say? How do you describe tabloids? They're uh, sensationalistic episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and the great Robin Lynn. Our theme song is by Craig Wedren. We rely on you, the listeners, for support. So please, go to patreon.com slash Black. sign up. There's all kinds of fun stuff. There's goodies. You could join the book club where we get together. We talk about the book that we're reading. Uh, and it's just a fun community. So, you know, head on over to patreon.com slash Black. And I will see you next time.